Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Delighted to have you on this sports podcast where we have quite a bit to talk about today. First up, I'm talking to MMA Fighting's Jose Youngs about a wild couple weeks in the UFC and in boxing. We break down some potential fights in the various divisions. What does the lightweight division have to offer? Who can challenge Kamaru Usman? Uh, thoughts on the UFC as well as some boxing talk. Canelo, the heavyweight division is ramping up. Some green fights as well. And of course, pro wrestling. And then I talked to Adam Musto about week 10 in the NFL and some co- college football talk in addition to that. It's Jose Young and Adam Musto on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, friend of mine from MMA Fighting, it's Jose Young's. Jose, welcome back to the program. A lot of travel uh, under your belt the last couple weeks. Glad you could take some time to come on the podcast. Well, travel is an understatement, but I got a new microphone, so we're, we're living large out here in Phoenix, Arizona, so hopefully your listeners will appreciate this final crystal clear audio it for is, once. From it me. is crystal clear. It's great, uh, and you know, I, I, I have to start with this, man. I mean, I know it's not even your first time, but I'm always going to be jealous when I see a video of you online talking to, te- talking to uh, Teddy Atlas. I mean, Oh, man, that's uh, – I can't – I don't take that for granted, especially he uh, – if you if you watch ESPN, obviously Teddy is doing a lot more MMA commentary and a lot more MMA uh, a- analytical work for ESPN, and of course his podcast. He's had Masvidal and Usman and a lot of other people on his, especially Masvidal and especially Justin Poirier. Him and Justin Poirier have become very very close. So uh, I never take that for granted, especially when uh, his people asked if I wanted to interview him after because I, I interviewed him right after the Connor fight with Poirier. Uh, and that was pretty awesome. But to, to go backstage and basically I was standing watching him do his ESPN hit and then he walks right over to me. He's like, all right, let's do this. And I was like, well, man, what a world I live in. What a life he's had too, especially Seriously. Just in the combat sports game, in the boxing game. And now, you know, still keeping it going, dropping knowledge. I always get up to that, get up to see him talk. So props to you for that. Uh, I like these catch ups where we can go around, uh, where there's not anything super urgent pressing where we can kind of just recap what's going on and just kind of survey the landscape of uh, combat sports before we do that though jose i do want to bring it up because i know how much that they mean to you in your life but uh some somber news this week uh with uh, julio lugo passing away oh man a big member of that team in 2007 that won the world series so yeah attack dies way too early in uh, thoughts for him for sure he uh fun story i i I used to work at the Pawtucket red sox i worked in the back and he did a rehab assignment there, and he was obviously uh, the starting shortstop for the Red Sox. And he was coming; he was like kicking off his rehab. I think he did a week in, in AAA before jumping back up to the majors. And at, every night, he bought like an absurd amount of Dominican food. Like he would wow. bring it; like he would like order it and have it delivered to the entire clubhouse at Pawtucket, like players uh staff like concession people uh, janitors grounds crew keepers so julio lugo was a great ball player but from my seven days interacting with him he was an absolute treasure of a human being and the world is a lot lot darker without him yeah and that's a good story it's good also to know that you know you hear the other side of that story so much like the rehab start where the guy's kind of a jerk it's good to know that he was just kind of a normal you know, normal guy and uh, wasn't there very long, but made a good impact. Yeah, he, uh, he, anyone that's won a ring in Boston is 
never like is going to be treasured forever. And he even, uh, I think there was a point in time when he was like, Oh, for 35 at one point, And he had, and then when he finally got his hit, he was a good sport about it. Like he kind of danced on the base when he, when he got in the crowd and the, the, the clubhouse was going nuts for him. So it was a fun guy. Awesome guy to be around. Hey, he hit three eighty five in that world series. So sure did. He That's all that matters. He definitely <laughs> contributed to one of your many rings, uh, as a sports fan there. Uh, let's, let's talk, let's talk UFC because there's a lot I wanted to talk to you about. Um, starting with the, the pay-per-view a couple weeks ago, 268, you were there, Madison Square Garden. We were bracing ourselves for some weirdness in MSG. We got some of it. It was it was a good card. Uh, I think some of the fights were uh, incredible spectacles. Others brought it. Uh, can I just say that I 100%, we can be critical of what the UFC does and you know some things we disagree with for sure. I love the move of putting Chandler Gaethje first. I just yeah. I was a huge fan of it. And uh, I love starting the show with a bang for sure. I know there were different reasons for why that was uh, with the with the trainer, the coach of, of yeah. multiple fighters on there. But I love the fact that we started with a fight like that. And it's okay to kind of start strong and then almost like the pro wrestling mindset, you know, start with a banger and then work your way back up again. Yeah, the only problem with that is Shane Burgos and Billy Quarantillo, they put on an absolute <laughs> banger as well. And in any other fight card, that wins fight of the night. But if you were in the arena for that, it's similar to, to WWE when you have like that epic match and then the ma- the match after. Yeah. You're just so mentally tired that you just can't even like commit to this fight. So Shane and Billy put on an absolute war yeah. and no one cared <laughs> because Justin, they were so just exhausted from watching Gaethje Chandler. But then by the time Cheeto and Frankie fought, uh, they had picked it back up again, but yeah, awesome, like awesome move worked out for them. I'm curious if they do that moving forward. Obviously, like you said, uh, the reason for it was because Justin Gaethje's head coach was is also Rose Namajunas and Kamar Usman's head coach, so uh, he wanted to be back there to help Rose warm up before a five round fight rather than uh, have to rush to the back, you know, and then run out without giving her any words of advice because uh, she's very much someone that needs. Uh, someone there walking her through the step by step, not quite like Kamara, but she, uh, Trevor Whitman's also yeah. been there for her whole career, so it's it's just a different uh, mindset with her. So I, I, but I'm curious if they do if they do that moving forward, pushing like the quote unquote people's main event first. Well, Whitman's certainly on a heater with how his fighters mm-hmm. have performed recently. Uh, gotta say though, I mean that fight was the the, the three round fight Gaethje and uh, Chandler incredible. Was there anything about that that you didn't expect i mean other than the fact that chandler was just walking through uppercuts that would have killed most most people on this earth i was surprised that chandler survived uh because <laughs> yeah. i i i i understand chandler like i've i've been to a million michael chandler fights and he's clearly a top five welter lightweight of all like not of all time but presently and uh i think ufc fans really missed out on his physical prime uh, when he was fighting like Brent Primus and Pitbull, Pitbull and yeah. Sydney Outlaw and Ben and like the Benson win was a big deal, but I think he's one and two in the UFC, uh, and he's only lost to Charles and Justin, and he ten aided Charles Oliveira that first round before getting clipped, and I after watch after that fight, especially like if you if you've seen the like the 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 Will Brooks fight like the the second one when he basically broke his jaw in the middle of the fight and. Uh, he was he's, and he got knocked out in I think 60 seconds against Pitbull. I thought Michael Chandler was not gonna be able to survive Justin Gaethje's onslaught, especially because like Justin, this new Justin Gaethje that's been putting people away left and right, everyone not named to be even such rapid ascension. I could not, not only did I could I not believe that Michael Chandler survived, but that he kept pushing forward. It is 
everything they lived up to, but man, I can't do that too often. No, no, you can't. Uh, and obviously, I think you were the one that tweeted out immediately, like, yeah, they're going to be going to the hospital yeah. uh, right after this one. Uh, Chandler, unreal, Chan, unreal heart in this one. But you mentioned the new Justin Gaethje. I mean, this is mm-hmm. not the same guy we saw, what, three, four years ago. I know there's a lot of fights to be made at the lightweight uh, division for the belt, other big fights. You've got McGregor out there, obviously. But I, I, I would be shocked if the title and the path to the title for the next couple of years doesn't involve at least a road roadmap that goes through Justin Gaethje because he's fighting as good as anyone in this division and has been for the last couple of years. Well, I've been saying forever, I think like Justin Gaethje might be the best lightweight in the world. Uh, this present Justin Gaethje, like he lost to Dustin Poirier and he lost to Eddie Alvarez. But if you remember those, uh, if if you've seen his interviews like post fight or the interviews he's done after the fact, uh, that was a different Justin Gaethje. That was like he was just a, a wild, crazy man that would look for these wars. Especially like you saw the Michael Johnson fight, which was his debut. He was just out of control. And then Trevor Whitman kind of had to sit him down and be like, "Hey, listen, buddy. Like, if we want to do this, if we want to make a run for the title, we need to." Yeah. We need to stay sharp all the time. And so you saw that with Vic Barbosa and Cerrone, the back-to-back-to-back-to-back first-round knockouts, like like violent knockouts. Like, I don't care. Like, I believe the Cerrone knockout is a TKO on his record. That was a knockout. That was a KO. Like, Donald Cerrone had no idea where he was. And then the Tony Ferguson fight obviously was unbelievable. But if you remember, like, I think it was, like, rounds between rounds, like, two or three or one and two or whatever, Justin Gaethje's, like, in that wild like gunfight with Tony Ferguson and then he gets dropped with an uppercut right at the mm-hmm. end of the round and then Tony Ferguson's like John Adam and Justin Gaethje's like yeah this is this is great this rules this and that and then Trevor Whitman just goes hey settle it focus yeah. remember what happened the last remember what happened with Justin Poirier when you were having too much fun and he just immediately just goes yes yeah. sir right away sir and then gets locked right back in again and then goes out there and pieces up Tony Ferguson so obviously Habib Nurmagomedov is the greatest lightweight who ever lived and mm-hmm. I think has lost like two rounds in his life so you're I don't care what who fights him you're not going to have a good day at the office so uh, I would be very curious to see Justin Gaethje fight Justin this Justin Gaethje fight this Dustin Poirier because they those two are the best but at the same time, Charles Oliveira hasn't lost since, what, 2017 maybe to, to yeah. Paul Felder. Mm-hmm. I think that was on the same card that Eddie Alvarez knocked out Justin Gaethje, honestly, if I can remember correctly. So uh, clearly the top three lightweights in the world uh, that I, I don't really care who fights who. Like that round robin right there is fun. I do think Dustin beats Charles. And then I think I don't know if he fights Justin because Dustin's at the point of his career where he's kind of a money fight. Like the third Connor fight will always be there. A fight with Nate will always be there. The Gagey fight will always be there. Uh, it's just at that point, if he beats Charles, Dustin Poirier gets to do whatever he wants. Uh, in terms yeah. of he could fight Colby, he go up to welterweight and fight mm-hmm. Colby Covington because they hate each other too. Because <laughs> uh, because I assume Colby is going to fight Jorge next. Well, I, you, the, oh man, I, I, yeah. I sorry to cut you off. There's a lot to get to, and I, and I want to touch on just about everything you just said. First off, great memory. It was UFC 218 in December of 2017, where that wasn't even the Felder Oliveira fight wasn't even on the main card. Yeah, I think it was the featured prelim, if I remember correctly. It was. It was. Holloway Aldo was the main uh, in that one. But yeah, same one where Al- Alvarez knocked out uh, Gaethje. Uh, I wanted to have this. I mean, I know wrestling is always going to be near and dear to our hearts. And if we do this fantasy booker thing, we're looking at a lot of different divisions. Lightweight might be the most complicated. You know that there's McGregor out there who says, I'm at the title picture. Regardless, he's tweeting up a storm. We know 
we know Khabib's talking about his boy Islam about being in the title picture, but I, I have to think, right, like Gaethje's up next, the winner of Oliveira and Poirier. Do you see any other path besides that? Depends on if the UFC hits Abu Dhabi. If the UFC hits Abu Dhabi, it's, mm. it's the it's the yeah. Islam show. That's a good one. It's, See, it, you gave me a good one. Another scenario. I mean, the Islam fight. He's next. He sh- so if if Justin Gaethje fights the winner of Poirier and Oliveira, Islam Makhachev has done enough where he doesn't have to take another he fight. He can yeah. just wait for the winner of that. But it, it, it's literally a matter of time of does he want to wait? I just think Gaethje deserves it because he kind of had to sit out. This, yes, during meritocracy this wise, in a, in, a, in a sport where wins and losses matter and and strength of schedule matters, <laughs> Justin Gagey is next. The problem yeah. is, Islam Mahachev is not fought for the title yet. He has the Habib factor. He's he very much represents a a, a demographic that the UFC is trying to push because he's obviously Muslim and he's he's a he's a mega star in Abu Dhabi. But if you look at his strength of schedule, like Tiago Moises, who he fought in a main event. Islam's first main event, and he's submitted in four rounds, in, in, in round four, if I, I believe, round three or four. Tago Moises just got knocked out by uh, Lo, uh, Lopez in, his, in this... Oh, I can't remember his last name. Man, I can't remember his last name. Um, this past weekend in round one, round, round one or two. So that loss, to, to that, that win over Tiago is not looking... Did not age well, I should say. And if you look at Dan Hooker, like Dan Hooker's loss to... He's been tapped by Islam... He's been knocked out by Chandler, and he had a thrilling, like, almost fight of the year against Dustin Poirier. So he's losing to the best of the best. He's also lost to Edson Barbosa and stuff like that. But Dan Hooker, his record is like 20 and 11, maybe 21 and 10, something yeah. like that, similar to Nate Diaz, where he's a popular fighter, but he's lost a lot. I think Islam needs one more win. Or a scenario I could also see is if Dustin wins the lightweight title and then just vacates it to go fight Colby or goes to welterweight or calls it a day. Because Dustin Poirier has made enough money that he can just retire. You think so? Honestly. You think he might? I mean, there is a realistic scenario because he's already talked about how he could have retired, but that this is it. Like he wins, he just kind of pulls the McGregor where he doesn't defend the belt. He could. I yeah. wouldn't like. He's made enough. He's like he he's he's fought. He's one of those guys like Masvidal that's fought for so long. Like he was fighting for like nothing. He's fighting for free basically in like mm. park in like supermarket parking yeah. lots where the ring is made of like. Like gym mats, uh, and it's like so I, 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 merch, I would have merch after the show. Yeah, I would not. I would hazard a guess that there are MMA fights that aren't even on Dustin Poirier's record because they weren't like yeah. sanctioned. Wow, fights. I would hazard that guess. So if Dustin walks away, Justin Islam is would be the fight, but then Charles Oliveira is there too. Mm-hmm. It's tough, man. It's lightweight rules. It's I think it's the greatest. I think it's been the most. Like right now, bantamweight is the most talented division, but historically, I think lightweight yeah. has been the the best division. What would your guess be right now? Your educated professional guess for Connor's next fight? Just who it's against? Hmm. Well, the UFC. I know what the UFC wants to do. They want the Nate Diaz trilogy in July. Mm. Mm. Nate doesn't want to wait that long. He wants to fight. He wants to fight <laughs> next month. He wants to fight tomorrow. He doesn't care if he's healthy. Well, the problem with that, yeah. the problem with Nate is it's the last fight on his contract. And they don't want to lose the Connor fight to another, to someone else. Does that make sense? It does make so, sense. Especially before we're going, like, kind of as this free market thing opens up with sports. But I get what you're saying, yeah. I think if, if Nate and Connor are smart and they can pull it off, Nate fights out his contract, 
becomes a free agent. I think Connor has like three or four fights, maybe, maybe less. I don't know the exact number. He closes out, and then they do Connor Nate three outside the UFC. Oof, how much money would they make? Like how All much? Of it. <laughs> like, a crazy amount yeah. of money. It would wow. be like McGregor Sports and Entertainment, like because like he has because like it does. He's he's basically into the pull pull the Mayweather. Yeah, his own guy. Like he's not gonna have a promotion. He's he's going to be his own business. Like like people are gonna have to bid for Connor. Uh, like Showtime will have to bid for Connor, or I wouldn't. Dang, I wouldn't. I would not be surprised if Showtime had to play for that. Um, it, but if I'm the UFC, mm-hmm. I either go for the McGregor trilogy because you don't want to lose out on that, or yeah. you give him you you feed Nate Diaz to Hamzat and wow. just build a superstar off of Hamzat. Wow, there's a lot there. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled to see how it goes. Jose Young's here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, more UFC talk question for you the next question i have for you is how did you score the rose whaley fight i had a three two rose i don't remember the exact uh rounds that we had but i had because the problem is that was happening the exact same time as canelo caleb plant so i was watching like two things at once back there so i did not score that fight as carefully as i should have but i had rose winning three to two it was a split so it was clearly a close Mm -hmm. fight but i don't think it was a robbery I would agree. I thought it was 3-2 also. Uh, I think Rose fought a smart fight against an opponent that was clearly making adjustments that wasn't going to get, you know, flash knocked out like in the first fight. And uh, this actually, I had the eerie feeling going into it that it would play out a lot, maybe less violent, of course less violent, than the second Joanna fight with Rose where it turns out to be more of a war-type fight. Um, Rose is, Rose is a, a hell of a fighter, man. Her language. Rose, her, Rose is manages, approaching. How she manages Rose, space and distance is just incredible watching. Rose her is approaching the uh, great. You have to put her on the list of greatest female fighters ever now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I don't want. I don't know if you put her top five yet. She clearly has the talent, but that top five women. Like the top three are like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what's your top five? I'll let you. Or your top four, let's say. <sighs> it's tough. Because Amanda's number one, yeah. But then you can't like because again, like, we're, what two? See, that's the thing. Mm. Number two is an argument. Valentina and Cyborg. Where like, but then there there are women that have never fought in the UFC. That's like, true. You can't not have Megumi Fuji. That's true. Yeah. She 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 retired in 2013. Like her first ever pro fight was 2004, I believe. She I, she's only like she's. She went. She had like she was like the Fedor. For, like she she didn't lose for like seven eight years, and like she has wins over Carla Sparza. and then like the problem was she was just ahead of the game, and like it, people caught up to her. Um, you can't not have Megumi. Cyborg is clearly there. You can't not talk about women's MMA without Ronda. Ronda has to be top five. Valentina's top five. Cyborg's top five. Like Rose just might be seven or eight. I, like, I and honestly, Joanna's up there. Like, Joanna might right. be a greater. But I feel like, like Rose's resume is starting to eclipse Ronda's, and I understand the importance factor. Yeah, but if we're talking resume, these are some tough. I don't tough know, wins. man. It's, like, it is tough though, and like Ronda's wins over Cat and Alexa Davis and Carmouche, and she's beat Misha Tate twice. Yeah, Misha's still going. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's true. Uh, it's it's a very fair comparison. You mentioned Amanda, though. I did want to attend. Uh, I did want to mention the fact that Dana White basically said the featherweight division is in yeah. her hands, which yeah. is unfortunate I mean, to hear, but it is the truth. Yeah, I mean, the, there's not a lot of female featherweights out there that can push Amanda, and unfortunately, the one that they 
there's one fighter that can do it, and that's Kayla Harrison. She fights a lightweight right now, but she has cut to 145 before to fight an Invicta for like a one-off fight because she just didn't want to wait around for PFL. She's a two-time PFL champion. Has basically made $2 million doing it, so she's not hurting for money. She cuts a wicked promo. Um, she checks all of the boxes to be a superstar like in, the, in MMA. The problem is she knows her worth, and I think she beats Amanda. And I don't think oh. the UFC would want that. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, you know what I'm going to say, right? Screw what everybody else wants. I want to see a good fight. Like, why can't we make this happen? And I don't think Amanda would run from it either for the right money. The course. problem is they both train ATT. Uh, but I've heard, I've heard they kind of put a pause to training together just in case, you know? Yeah. Um, but Kayla is a fighter that I would not give her a tune-up fight. Like, she signs with the UFC, she fights Amanda right away. Well, it has happened before. I mean, we all remember Rampage Jackson's first contract. Well, Rampage is the pride <laughs> champion. <laughs> Where it's like, come on over, we got the league now, let's go. Well, I Rampage did. fought one guy and then fought yeah. for the title, I'm pretty sure. The problem is Kayla has options. Mm. It's not a one-dog not one, a one dog race. She Because, like, if all right, you sign with, like, she's clearly... She will not be beaten in the PFL. She will never. No one in the PFL can beat her. And if you win the PFL tournament, you get a million dollars. So why not just keep winning a million dollars over and over and over and over and over? That's an option. She could sign with Bellator and then fight Cyborg right away. Because honestly, if you're looking at the two featherweight divisions, wow, what a Bellator has the Bellator has the better featherweight division. Like (laughs) Kazangano's there. You know, Kavanaugh's there. Leslie Smith is there. Like. are it's we great. sure that if the cyborg rematch with Amanda happens, it wouldn't go completely no. opposite? <laughs> oh, I have no idea. That to right. me, it's right. the Connor. It's Connor Aldo. Like yeah. if they fight ten times, that yes. doesn't happen ever it's again. It's exactly what that is because Aldo has made some improvements since losing to Connor. Like it's not like he just deteriorated skill wise. And I feel well, like Cyborg's still fighting and doing. Cyborg's well, so. problem is she just saw red and just ran. She had the worst game plan. Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. they fight and if they fought again. I, I would still pick Cyborg. Amanda's really good. God, Cyborg's Amanda's the greatest female so fighter ever. They like... fight 10 times. I think it's 50-50. I think Kayla Harrison could beat both of them. Cyborg's boxing. Oh, man. I Yeah. Well, there are fights there. So I, we accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. There are somewhere out there fights for Amanda. Just will they happen? Um, before we kind of move topics too much about some of the past events, Jose, I want to throw out another scenario. Is there any scenario where you would put, maybe it's already happened, maybe it will never happen, where you would put Usman as the greatest welterweight of all time? Oh, ahead of not GSP? yet. Not, not yet. yet. And I agree with you, not yet. But what is it going to take for him to get there? Because he's more climbing. Title, more, more title defenses. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Like, George was in that era where it was anytime, any, anyone, anytime, any place. Like, he, he, he was the biggest box office draw, but he also understood that people fought their way to the top. I agree. I, I agree. It. And I think that's a part of the greatness. Like, did he have to rematch Josh Koscheck? No. Did he have to rematch, like, a lot of these fighters? No. Like, he fought Nick Diaz because he was supposed to fight Nick Diaz, and then he wanted to he wanted to beat his ass. So, But, like, Dan Hardy was, like, 4-0. Like, did he have to fight him in Newark? No, but he still did. Like, I, what was it, nine title defenses, yeah. something like that? Yeah. But, um, but I like, also weird, wonder, or? like, would he... I understand that the resume is just clearly better. I'm not debating that. But if these two guys at their peak fought, who would you that, pick? See, that's a different conversation. That's like the Jordan-LeBron argument. Like, I think, like, and this might be controversial, I just think LeBron is more talented. 
Michael Jordan is just greater. It's yeah. That makes it's sense. hard to make like, a direct comparison with MMA because it's literally two guys fighting each other, like right. fighting. You know, it's like you know what is, I mean? is is Shohei Otani more talented right. than Babe Ruth? Probably. Just, Babe yeah. Ruth's just a greater player. It just weighs to affect the game versus like literally one on one, mano y mano, or woman versus woman. You know and it's, who wins. It's, it, and again, like George is. He has the most wins in the welterweight mm-hmm. division, most title defenses, most fights. He's a former champ. He, like, let's not forget he won the middleweight title. Yeah. Uh, he has like the most. He has like what? He's in like top three most octagon time. Like he has like every record imaginable at, in welterweight and a big chunk at at UFC. So yeah. to me, he's the greatest fighter ever. Of regardless Kamaro's of a beast, way. man. Kamaro's a beast. Though. He's on his way. And he is I, well his way. And we talked about this before. Colby is the one guy I thought in this division that could give him a fight. And you know what? In two fights, he did. This second fight, he actually impressed me more by not just wil- wiltering away when he was getting worked, you know, in rounds two and I think three. He actually fought pretty hard down the stretch. But I, who's going to take the belt from him? I mean, we talk about the joke belts on lock. Khabib <laughs> was the big one, but... I mean, this is probably this is trending to it's going to be whenever he decides to walk away. Leon would be an interesting rematch. Mm-hmm. Leon, because Leon hasn't lost since then. He's looked obviously very good. The problem is, is just activity, and that's of no fault of his own. No, he's got the worst luck, man. Or just people don't want to fight him. Either. The Hamzat fight would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. The Hamzat fight would be really interesting because I hear. And I, 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 the problem is we just have it's like so. Hams, the pro, there's a couple problems with the Ham, with the Hamza fight. Like if he fought Kamaru now, I would not complain, because he has more fights in the UFC than he has a punches absorbed. <laughs> like he's four and zero in the UFC, and he's absorbed three punches total. I don't know how that happens. Like I don't. <laughs> He's a monster. I know. The problem is that his comp, and the problem is level of competition is so low. But the pro, like at the same time, he's doing what he's supposed to when do. When he took those fights in weeks apart in different weight classes, or what, ten days apart in different weight ten classes, days, yeah. I was like, okay, this guy's a monster in two different weight classes. Like he is an absolute savage. The pro, he has to get his weight situation down because yeah. he, he he barely made welterweight. He needed that extra hour after missing the first time. Um, if he goes out to middleweight, I think he, I, if I don't, I think Kamaru would get, I think Hamza would give Israel Adesanya a ton of problems, a ton. Uh, cause I also hear that cause Hamza trains in, in Sweden with all stars like Gustafsson and everyone he's training with, with big bodies. And I, I hear like him more I, as a widowweight too, but go ahead. Yeah. I, right now I want to see him in welterweight and eventually he's going to have to move up to middleweight. Mm-hmm. I have heard that he just <laughs> smashes like actual collegiate wrestlers, like Olympic wrestlers, like he, like if he tried out for the re- like the national wrestling team for Sweden, he would make it. Wow. That's what I hear. Wow. He is like, like George Saint Pierre once, like he he made the Canadian wrestling team, but Dana White wouldn't let him wrestle in the Olympics, which is obviously, like, why would you let him do that? Yeah. Uh, Hamzat's like that, like he is just a monster of a of a fighter, and he's just too good to fight these lower level guys. I, which is why the UFC wanted him to fight Leon twice. The problem is he had COVID. So yeah. if they gave Hamzat the title shot, wouldn't complain because I want to see how he does against Kamaru. I think looking at the at the top 15 of welterweight, the only fighter I can confidently say beats Hamzat, like I would pick to beat Hamzat, is Kamaru. I would pick Hamzat to beat Wonderboy, Gilbert, 
Colby's interesting. Yeah, that is a fun fight, actually. Colby is interesting because his cardio is bananas, That's... but he's so much smaller mm-hmm. than than like he. I think he. It would be that would be tough. I would. I, I think Hamzat runs over Jorge Masvidal. Ooh. I'll tell you that much. I think Camaro is the only fighter at welterweight. I will say he beats Hamzat. Everyone else is 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 a legit debate. So last thing on this division before we quickly move on, do we get our conspiracy hats on with the uh, Masvidal Edwards? I tell you what, versus Colby Zorking. I mean, I'm I just saying. Shameless plug for the site right now. If yeah, you tune in yeah. to the MMA Hour tomorrow, or whenever this show goes live, I have a feeling we might hear one of the sides <laughs> in that. <laughs> See, we didn't even talk about this. This is great. I love it. Yeah. So I don't have the answers for that, but by no, the end of November 17th, we'll probably have some of the answers. Wow. Wow. Can't wait for that. Jose Youngs will check it out on MMA fighting and all your stuff there. Um, Max Holloway fought this weekend in a war. Yeah. It was an absolute war with A.A. Rodriguez. Uh, he won. He took a lot of shots. He took a beating, some would say. So did Rodriguez. His ankle was just disgusting after that fight. But Max keeps winning. Is another fight with Volkanovski coming up? What do you think is next for the future of the title in that division and what Max is going to be doing? Well, if you watch the Monday's edition of the MMA Hour, this most recent when Volkanovski was, was on there, and he said if, if Max wants it, it's his. But it, if, you, if you watch all the interviews, like Max was, oh, we'll see. We'll see this and that. Like, I know I'm on the shortlist for a Connor fight. Let's not forget, Max Holloway beat Charles Oliveira when Charles Oliveira was a featherweight. It was a freak accident. It was on like because he I, I believe uh, Charles Oliveira suffered a torn esophagus in that fight, which is low key one of the most dangerous injuries I've ever heard of inside. Like he could have died from that. I don't know what Max does. I think Max wants to see what happens in December, and then we'll go from there. But if if it's not Max, then I think the way if Giga Chikadze beats Calvin Cater, that's the fight. Do you? I, and I did watch some of that. Or zombie, honestly. Oh I don't really God, care. amazing! You always just name drop zombie when you want to get excited. <laughs> uh, do you think? Do you agree with any of what Volkanovski said that this is going to add up? That he's as tough as oh, they come, but he's taking the most shots ever recorded in the UFC octagon. Of course, I mean, Max Holloway became the first fighter in the history of the UFC to land three thousand significant strikes. The problem is he's absorbed a ton. Uh, he doesn't. He, he doesn't have a ton of knockout power. Like it's just when I say kill him with bug bites, it's not even that. It's just a swarm of bees that just won't leave you alone, no matter how much you swat them away, and that will eventually catch up. That's it's just a problem. And it's not there now, but I know Max takes his brain health very seriously. Uh, I know he gets scans and everything, and he gets his medicals done. Uh, his, his manager get, makes sure he gets those done. So. It's gonna catch up eventually. Like, I think that was, uh, I think that was the exact, like the exact phrase in Volkanovski said. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't it's seem any, catch up. Didn't seem like he was malicious either. He was just making a statement. It's just a fact. Good. I mean, it's gonna catch up to Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler too. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, Jose, uh, switch into uh, combat, another combat sport, boxing. You mentioned Canelo Plant. Mm-hmm. I thought Plant was pretty game for fighting Canelo. Eleven rounds was in the fight, but Canelo is just like a. I was watching. I was like, he's just like a shark when he sees blood in the water because it doesn't take much. It reminded me of the Kovlev fight when he went up to light heavyweight. Yeah. When he sees an opening, it's just curtains, and that's what it was. And, you know, Plant was tough and fought hard. Good to see them exchange, you know, res- mutual respect after the fight. But the coronation is complete. Canelo, the best pound-for-pound fighter in the game, has every single belt at his weight class. 
I mean, Caleb Plant might be like if Canelo, he's him and like he's he's a him and Billy Joe are basically like the Colby Covingtons of this division. If, yeah, if Canelo doesn't ex- belts without if Canelo. Canelo doesn't exist, Caleb Plant is probably has all the belts. The Benavidez fight would be interesting. Benavidez is what like twenty four and 25 and oh something like that. Billy Joe just got his his face punched in. <laughs> Danny Jacobs is obviously on the on the wrong like closer to the end than anyone. Uh, Lemieux is way past his prime. Durrell is I don't think any anywhere near the top of the list right now. It's just like who's there's no one. I don't I don't think Canelo loses for the rest of his career honestly. I'm like I, like I triple. Will- yeah. The Triple G, the Triple D well, trilogy would have been interesting two, three years ago, but like it's not interesting twice. right now. I like yeah. Canelo, but he didn't win those fights. But it's okay. He won. It's he like... definitely lost the first one. Yes. The second one was really close. Like, I, I don't that. think that was a robbery. I get that. I do. What I had a problem with, and we've talked about this, was all was the judges that had all the rounds for had twelve for. Yeah, Canelo. that's a problem because I feel for because Triple G. Twelve. Yeah, and he Triple was G could be two and zero. Oh. He and could. said he's oh one and one, which is a which is a travesty. And the one judge in the first fight, our favorite friend, uh, who I can't, I'm not even going to say their name, but you know, had it like ten two or something. Yeah. But that said, like Canelo, especially distancing himself from Oscar, and I'm not going to say he won't lose the rest of his career because we kind of know how this goes, right? The next prodigy might come up. If he wants to get out, he can get out undefeated, but we'll see. I mean, it's just he is so far ahead of the rest of his weight class, which is unfortunate because you look at some of the other pound-for-pound rankings, we're getting some good fights. We're getting Porter Bud Crawford coming up here, and that I can't wait for. I mean, that's a fun fight. I just wish it happened sooner. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I feel like we were expecting Bud to just kind of handle him, but hey, it, it wouldn't. Like, if Porter won this fight, would you be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened? I don't think I'd be at that I think I would be. I think Terrence really? Crawford is unreal. He is unreal, but Porter is a heck of a fighter too. He's great. He's great, but the Errol Spence fight is the fight I want. Spence and Crawford. I don't, you know, like the yeah. Porter fight is the Porter fight is like a a good second fight. Like it's not the fight I, I'm like I, I mean I freaking love everything about that fight, but it's not the fight that I want. The Spence, if I that mean, makes sense. A split decision with Spence. Now I thought I know. the judges got it right that Spence won that fight, but yeah. And I think Thurman got him earlier in his career. And, and I understand. I just think it's better for boxing to make this fight happen. You know, they, they actually gave us this fight. I don't think years ago that would have happened. They just know he's mandatory challenger. So maybe we're building to Spence and we'll see. I just, I really hope it happens when, I feel bad for Terrence Crawford. Like, if you see everyone like, what, he's clearly top. If you want to put him third, pound for pound, behind Inouye, like, obviously, one and two are Canelo and Usyk. Like, there's not really an argument. The argument is starts at three. If you want to put Crawford three, I would not argue. I think I have him third or fourth right now. The problem is, like, you see Canelo and Usyk are getting like the red carpet treatment, and there's Bud just being like, "Hey, well, remember me?" <laughs> you're talking about pound for pounds. Yeah, the bantamweight uh, in in Uwe? Yeah, anyway, he's, three. Well, or, he's three or four. It's he's it. up there for me. I, I look. I the heavyweight division is fascinating. You're going Usyk ahead of Fury. Oh yeah, for your uh, Alexander Usyk is the number two pound for pound in the I world. Get, right now. Ah, man, and and he was the best kept secret in boxing. No one realized how just much of a badass he was. The cruiserweight division. You talk about what Canelo did to middleweight. Usyk cleaned out cruiserweights and then gave up his belts to move up to heavyweight. That said, and and I get it, it's pound for pound, but he fights in the same division with one of the greatest heavyweights I think of all time. Yeah, and I think I think Tyson Fury beats him. 
I just think in pound for pound resume is important. What? Yeah. What's yeah. he fighting so, at? At that? What's so? What's Fury fighting at in that fight? Like, what's his weight in that fight? Because he keeps getting bigger, and it helps. That's because he got bigger to fight Wilder. Like the problem, I think that he could run into is if he fights Usyk and gets smaller, and then fights Joshua and gets and goes back up. I think that might catch up to him. It's uh, it's tough, man. What's he? Uh, what's um. What do you think? How do you think this shakes out? We didn't even talk about Fury uh, Wilder. How that Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight in the world. But that, was I'm just, just, that was insane. That fight. Tyson was, Fury could be the most talented heavyweight ever. Honestly, Usyk. I still have him higher on the list of pound for pound rankings, just simply because he's won all the titles in cruiserweight, and he has he's has what four of the five at heavyweight. He and I just destroyed Joshua. He picked him apart. This I know. Was, there's nothing. It was fluky. unbelievable. There was nothing fluky about that fight. And. He's an unbel- He is so good, and he's <laughs> yeah. so funny, and he's so nice. And I think I always say like wins and losses matter in 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 boxing, MMA, or whatever. So I just have Usyk a notch above Fury, and that's simply because they haven't fought. Like once Fury beats him, he takes the spot. And like Joshua, I still have him two or three, uh, and Wilder's what two or three or four, and then White's there. And I I have Ruiz number five in my heavyweight oh, rankings. Okay. Because I do think beating Anthony Joshua matters. <laughs> like, I think that's a tricky fight for Wilder if they fight if he fights Ruiz. Like oh, I, I think that's Dillian, a tricky I fight because Dillian White versus Deontay Wilder's. Mm-hmm. I've wanted that fight for and or honestly, I think I think Tyson Fury fights Dillian White next, okay. uh, and then the winner of that because actually six Joshua say, rematch, right? That's what we're gonna see there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because yeah. that's only, but that's only fair. Because Joshua didn't need to fight Usyk. No, and like, and I believe it was in his contract. And then I want Ruiz to fight Wilder, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Wilder just calls it a career, which I wouldn't blame him. Yeah, after the pounding he took in that last. Well, game. he also he made well, like what else does he have to prove? Like no. he's like honestly, if we're talking talent wise and like who's the most like forget the belts, Wilder might be number two. Like Tyson, the problem is Tyson Fury just might be the best heavyweight ever, and Wilder's just second. It right now, because I, uh, I I always I always favored Wilder over Anthony Joshua. I don't think I'm with you there, but it's possible. I mean, Joshua isn't showing a lot of the heart that you would need to go, like, at the elite level. Like, I don't know that he keeps just fighting. The problem with he tried to outbox Usyk, and you're not going to do that. No, you needed to just crush him. And I think I always favored Wilder against Joshua, and uh, the Fury Wilder fight to me was always for the best heavyweight in the world. Until Usyk came along, because <laughs> now, I mean, now fights I, have changed. Usyk, nope. Wilder would be super fascinating because those are just completely different stylistic matchups. And Tyson Fury is also six nine, which is a problem for anyone. And Usyk is what six two. Yeah, down to Wilder six five. That's so fun, it's, man. It's six, a lot six. of fun matchups, man. I can't wait for. It. And the last thing on boxing, I was just going to say, I'm I'm upset Lopez isn't giving Loma Lomachenko the rematch. I like yeah. you want to be considered one of the pound for pound top five. Fight him again. Like, come on. If anybody deserves a rematch, it's that guy. Yeah, they just hate each other so much. And I think he's doing it just to spite him, which is a big problem. Uh, but that that whole, like, that division, that, that like, chunk of fighters, like Lopez, Garcia, Haney, Glomachenko. Uh, am I forgetting someone? I think I that's can't, much I'd be yeah. forgetting but like those, those that group of fighters, like like David Haney is unbelievable. Uh, Ryan, I think, but I think Lopez is gonna have the best career of all of them. He's what twenty four, 
and he just beat Lomachenko. I know, like, but I want to see them again with Loma at full, at full, you know, health. I just don't know if it ever happens. <laughs> so annoying. They might have, they might force it after a while, like money, like because it's still the biggest. Honestly, Ryan Garcia is a big fight too, but I want Ryan to fight Devin Haney so bad. Yeah, I mean oh, that's the fight to make. Also forgot the uh, if we're going down divisions, Chuck Chuck Lito's rematch. He, I mean, flyweight. He takes on Estrada again. Doc, Those guys are Doc amazing. Lee. That that last fight was uh, incredible, and I think the problem is I've also seen Chocolito just dead on in the middle of the canvas, so that's hard. That's a hard. Oh, uh, yeah, when he got knocked out, oh man, like bad. It was bad. Um, man, so many good fights. Uh, Jose, this was a pleasure. Before I let you go, where are we at with wrestling? What's what's got the New Japan? I know AEW is in the rage. Yeah. Did you watch the uh, crud? What's it? What is it? The the Kenny Omega hang, uh, Hangman Page. I did watch match? that. That was great. That was uh, a phenomenal match. That to me is what that is peak wrestling. That storyline. That was like a three four year story arc to the point where that matchup was probably going to happen sooner, mm-hmm. but then they signed Daniel Bryan and Punk, and they didn't want. And we all obviously that. Like the wrestling world stopped, like that paused the wrestling world. That those changeups and or Adam Cole jumping ship to AEW too, they hit the pause button on the Hangman Page match with Kenny because they knew how big and important it was, and they didn't want it overshadowed by those three guys. I and, I agree, and I, and I just think that like there was the argument. I think some of the signings, there's been a lot of signings, and you could say too many, or you could say right fits or whatever. I think this is what is going to separate AEW is this type of wrestling. It's also, if you look at it, he's really the first, I don't want to call him homegrown talent. But the first guy to become famous here, you know? Yeah. Like he wasn't famous before he got there. Yeah, like Jericho, Mox, and Kenny – like Kenny obviously never, I guess technically, if you want to get, I just, I just like this it. style. Like I and and yeah. you know, I'm I'm not the hardcore stuff. I'm not the biggest hardcore fan. Mox is kind of getting into that range. Um, yeah, Jericho, I understood why he was. You know, he's old, but it's like he's the he's going to give legitimacy by being the first champion. I just love watching Kenny work. He's still probably still clinging on to his prime. Uh, I actually haven't been like a huge fan of the return of CM Punk. I don't know if that puts me in the minority. Um, I, I mean, I, he's, role. his role is to help get people over. I think, uh, well, it's, I can say the same thing about Edge and WWE. I, you got to turn them because they're better on the other side. And it's like this nostalgic act right now. I feel the same yeah. for both those guys. Like, it's like someone said this to me who watches AEW all the time and loves it, but just said he's doing the same promo every week. Yeah, 100%. So. Daniel And Daniel Bryan is, is the next guy for Hangman. But, and, and also Hangman insane, is... Because Bryan hasn't hey, lost any steps. <laughs> Hangman is younger than me. Like that's I'm 30 and Dan, yeah. and, and and Hangman Page is he's gonna be the face of this company. That's like great. they did this right. They they put together the absolute best storyline I had I can remember since in terms of beginning to payoff. I know what you're gonna say. What am I gonna say? You're gonna say New Japan Pro Wrestling. Naito. Yeah, Naito. Yeah, Naito. There it is. That's this is the best storyline since yeah. then. Like in terms of long term booking, because if you if you listen, because I'm not a big Tony Khan Jr. fan, I think or Tony Khan, whatever, if he's junior, whatever, I think he's kind of an idiot. He's uh, just in terms like, of... he, it's just like a 
how do you want to, how do I want to put this? I don't want to too much it. of a fanboy for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. When I saw the quote about like the booing of CM Punk, where he's like, I was in the crowd, Rock and Hogan, and you know, I was there, and both. It's just there's a lot of like me, me, me stuff there. I, I think, think he does and it's, good behind the scenes, but when he puts himself on camera in the media, I don't think he, he looks good. I think he's he is obviously the best booker in wrestling right now, but I just I'm tired of the the Twitter. One hundred percent. It never did anything for me. Yeah. Um, but he said something very interesting. He's like, I always knew who my first four champions were gonna be. And now we're now we're this is what was building AEW, this was the groundwork, and now we can have fun. And now I I'm very excited mm-hmm. to see what happens because uh also I don't know if you saw, like Ring of Honor is no more. Yeah. Uh so now there's a ton of free agents for just like Jay Lethal just signed on. Like like I I like I need Bandito. In in AEW or WWE, I don't care which one. Roosh, I think is going to have to come over to AEW, and then he's going to re he's going to reunite with uh, Andrade to make basically make Los Ingobernables again, uh, but in AEW, and then that means he can do New Japan with Naito, and the three of them could all be like reunite the original Los Ingobernables, which was the absolute best thing in wrestling for the longest time, I think. Uh, and then, I mean, the Briscoe brothers should sign immediately and have a match against uh, FTR for the tag team championships. Because, wow. I mean, those the, just those all those names I just said would just light a fire in AEW. And uh, it's out of sight, out of mind right now. It's it's really, really sucks what happened to Ring of Honor because they were mm-hmm. the best. Like we wouldn't have Punk, Samojo, Daniel Bryan. Kenny, any of those guys, Kevin Owens, uh, yeah. Kevin Owens, Rollins, yeah. Oh, like you name any indie darling they it's went true. through ring of honor it was an important thing to have so but uh, it's it sucks but I'm, I'm really looking forward to see a lot of the change like honestly if, if i'm AEW, like i saw i basically give keith lee a blank check and say write whatever you want and we will feature you heavily if i'm AEW, i don't touch braun Strowman or bray wyatt i think those two would just they don't work in AEW. right uh i think they got to go to impact and i think that's the move to make well, I knew you were going to bring up Naito because that's the storyline that just really got to you, pulled the heartstrings. But no, it's, uh, it's an exciting time for sure to be a wrestling fan. Uh, Jose Young's pleasure. We'll catch out all your stuff on uh, MMAfighting.com. Look forward to uh, chatting with you in the future about more MMA and more combat sports. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. We'll talk after either the next big pay- UFC pay-per-view or... Hell, whenever Usyk and Joshua fight. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm putting that on the calendar right now. Jose Young, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, as always, to Jose Youngs. Make sure you catch all of his stuff on MMAfighting.com. He is a standout journalist and a good friend of this show as well. Thanks to him for talking combat sports and pro wrestling as always. Now we switch to the gridiron with Adam Musto. We talked NFL action. My Browns exactly a terrible performance this week. The Packers and Cowboys look like they could be the class of the NFL and the NFC. What's wrong with the Rams? What do we make of the rising Patriots and some other playoff teams, some pretenders and contenders, and a little college football playoff talk at the end. It's Adam Musto to break down some football now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, time to check in in NFL land with Adam Musto, reoccurring guest on the show. Adam, thanks for joining the program. Uh, good to talk to you back. Have you have you recovered from just that officiating atrocity a couple Mondays ago? Oh, no, I don't know if you ever do. I guess you just kind of learn, learn to live with it. You know, I was watching the, uh, 
the Chargers or the Chargers-Vikings game, and there was a play where Justin Jefferson flipped the ball to Keenan Allen on the sideline, and that was, you know, in the realm of what taunting is that, you know, I think it's so much worse than the Marsh thing, but, you know, there's no flag just because it wasn't really that big. It probably wasn't seen. So, I mean, I guess it was taunting, but just to impact a game that badly, you know, is just frustrating as a fan. Very frustrating. Uh, And another thing that's very frustrating is that it happened against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, you know, played probably what I would say the funniest game of 2021, that tie against the Lions. Uh, That was a game that I think we can easily say neither team deserved to win. The Lions are not going to go 0-17, but they still look for their first win. You had Jared Goff versus Mason Rudolph, and uh, just a, a comedy of errors, especially in the fourth quarter in overtime. Yeah, and it's funny. I feel like every time I'm on the show, we talk about how the Steelers kind of play to the level of their opponents. You know, they've been winning as basically as long as you and I have been watching football for the most part. But, you know, th- that's what they're going to give you. So uh, it's just it's bizarre. You know, there'll be plenty of Follies materials for NFL films. So that'll be great. And yeah, just a just a really, really wacky game. Yeah, funny. Uh, not so funny for the Steelers who are, you know, in the thick of a playoff race, a division race, and they uh, have a tie now to their record. Uh, I'll get right out to the open. It was a brutal week to be a Cleveland Browns fan as they get absolutely embarrassed by the New England Patriots at Foxborough. Uh, a final score of 45-7 to and, and probably not even that close of a game. Seven points on the opening drive for the Browns. Nothing after that. Uh, the defense, it was horrible how they played offensively not much better and uh, another example of Baker not looking good looking very hurt and uh, for the for me as a Browns fan and for most people that follow this team you're seeing just the level of mediocrity with them that's uh, just unacceptable for a team that has aspirations at least I think they still do of going somewhere I just don't see how the way they're playing there's much potential for them Adam to beat the top teams when uh, we've seen this time and time again that they just don't look like they have an identity. Yeah, and, you know, they're kind of on that upswing. You know, I feel like sometimes it still kind of takes teams, younger teams, to kind of learn how to win. Um, you know, I don't know how much of that is coming off of the drama with Odell Beckham. But, and the AFC is tougher than the NFC, obviously. So, so you know, I, I think that's where kind of teams are made of, especially this part, you know, the, the November, December of the season where you really have to win the critical games, especially against a team, obviously, the Patriots aren't what they were with Brady. But, you know, I think they're they're still there. They're not going to be totally off the map with Bill, uh, Bill Belichick as their coach, obviously. It was uh, a very brutal performance for the Browns uh, in in a lot of different regards. Defensively, they just could not get off the field, and uh, there's some serious doubts about what, you know, what Baker's future is this year with the injuries and then what the contract situation looks like you know, going forward there. Uh, the Patriots were two and four. It's four straight wins that they have, Adam, and Mac Jones looked great. The defense was buzzing as well. The AFC, I agree with you in one regard. I think there's more depth to the conference, but at the top, I mean, the Ravens losing on Thursday night. The Titans are 8-2, and two, but they don't have Derrick Henry. The Chiefs are back uh, in the win column, which we'll get to in a second. This is There's some real doubts about who the, the top teams are, and, and I would say the Patriots are in the mix with could make a run, could even make it out of the AFC because there isn't that apex predator, so to speak. Yeah, and especially just with the total barrage of all these bizarre upsets I think we've seen over the last two weeks where it almost seems like, you know, if you're looking at the games, it's almost a guarantee, oddly enough, where the team with the lower record is going to win. So, yeah, and we've seen, I think, all of the top teams have been human at different parts where they've just had sometimes just shocking losses where, you know, you did not expect them to fall. Um, And obviously some different injuries for different teams. I think I feel like we're all kind of expecting the Chiefs to make a late season run. Um, But I think 
teams have definitely shown their vulnerability just you know throughout the year. Do you think we're not respecting the Titans enough? Six straight wins. They beat the Saints. Uh, they're doing this without Derrick Henry. Went through arguably the toughest regular season stretch of any football team, and now the schedule looks like it's about the easiest for the last se- seven games. Do you think we're not respecting the Titans enough? Yeah, I mean, I think that they're just one of those rare teams in today's NFL where they're really not doing it with a franchise quarterback where, for the most part, you look at the other teams at the top and they all have a team with a quarterback that scares you. I mean, obviously, Tannehill was a first-round draft pick, but and he's been playing you know, awesome in his little resurgence with, with Tennessee. But I, I think it's just different. You know, We're expecting, the just from what we've seen over the last decade, winning with Breeze and Brady and Mahomes, um, and you know Roethlisberger when he was in his prime, and and you know Manning, you know Peyton Manning and stuff. So yeah, it's, I think they're kind of re, reinventing the wheel a little bit. You know, maybe not, maybe just kind of a, a throwback. Obviously, it'll be tough without Derrick Henry down the stretch. But if they're able to win consistently, you know, maybe it wasn't the prettiest win against the Saints, mm-hmm. but at this point it doesn't matter. And exactly like you said, you know, they got the Texans, the Jaguars, uh, the Dolphins, and Texans again on their schedule. You know, anything can happen, but uh, things. You know, they can definitely go on and continue with their winning streak, I would say. Because I feel like it, it, this is a league where this is a, a conference where every team has flaws and every team's had just like a brutal loss. The Titans, it was week one against the Cardinals and always the Jets game, I should say. Uh, but you could even look at like the Bills, who'd probably be looked at as the best team in the AFC had they not lost to the Jaguars. Um, I think that if the Titans get Henry back, the defense is playing a lot better. It's it's a, it's a good unit. It's not a great unit, but necessarily doesn't have to be. But if they get Henry back and if they get that one seed, don't have to play in the first round of the playoffs, the, the AFC, the road to the Super Bowl, would go through Tennessee, then you have to consider them on that short list of teams. I would still, even though the Bills did lose to the Jaguars, it's hard to say, but I would still put them as my top team thus far in the AFC by a slim margin. They've got the biggest point differential in the NFL by a lot. It's plus 145. And I think they, they kind of need a game like that, like a lot of teams every year, just snap back to reality. We've seen it in the NFC with the Cowboys most recently. But I feel like Buffalo, the way Josh Allen plays, I think they're still going to be the team I put the most confidence in. It's not what it was in years past in terms of having, like we said, that top Patriots or Colts or Broncos team. But I think Buffalo still, that, that Jaguars game was kind of a blip in the radar. Yeah, and I think they rebounded well. I mean, granted, they were playing the Jets after that, but I think that is one thing, you know, you kind of see how these teams bounce back. Um, and there's just a lot of, you know, bizarre things where you don't know if it's an anomaly or a trend. Um, you know, I think we've seen statistically that home field, at least during the regular season, isn't what it used to be. Um, but like you said, I think that buy in the playoffs will be huge, especially since so many teams kind of have injury problems or, you know, just an extra week of rest will help. I'm sure, that, you know, obviously, being home in the playoffs still makes a big difference. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, it seems like there's certain years where it just feels like there's a certain team's destiny. Going back to like the 80s in the NFL where it'd be whatever team lost in the NFC championship game would inevitably go win the Super Bowl the next year. But yeah, exactly. You know, there's not that team that's like, oh, this is their year. Um, it'll all play out. But I feel like there's a lot more variables. Possibly maybe something like you kind of see in hockey where I feel like the playoffs can just as, sometimes it feels like a total crapshoot. Yeah, it's definitely feeling more and more like that year. Uh, that being said, the Chiefs are, are back on the radar, and it's perfect for them, this scenario, where there's not any real team separating themselves. They get the big win over the Raiders uh, in Vegas. Mahomes and the offense, for the first time this year, looked like they were back. And, Adam, the defense, I think the other side is that the defense 
is back to playing adequate. Like they don't even more so than the Titans. They don't need them to be good even. They just need them to be okay for some turnovers. If you get that and you get back some of that vintage Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill magic, then you've got a real problem. And I think we're starting to see signs that the Chiefs could be back on track. Yeah, and it's just so funny because week to week, you know, the storyline just totally change and what was it a couple of weeks ago they were three and four. Mm-hmm. Um now all of a sudden they're you know, obviously it'll change, it's still a close race, but with the Chargers losing as well. They're the first seed in their division, so I would be definitely scared to have to play them, um, whether it's on the road or at home. Um, if you're another, you know, AFC contender, but yeah, you know, I, I don't envision them really falling off. Um, I think we all kind of know what that they're going to be there, which is kind of what we I feel like are kind of used to seeing in years past with Green Bay and the Patriots, where there would be times where they would kind of start slow, uh, but you know, eventually when they got a going you know they weren't a team you wanted to mess with late in the season adam i know you're a historian of the league and you know tracked football for a while even before you started working uh, in the industry can you recall anything close to off-field issues just collectively like what these 2021 raiders are dealing with uh no or at least maybe i don't know if everything was publicized or you know maybe it hit the press a little later obviously i think after the fact we all kind of knew what Lawrence Taylor was, even though obviously, you know, he was yeah. arguably one of the top five. This is, this is crazy. I mean, this is but. a coach and two first round picks from a year ago are all gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, now everything is kind of making it seem like that draft class is, you know, historically bad now. And, you know, the Khalil Mack trade, I guess, is looking better for the Bears. And usually I feel like if there's something close to this or, you know, not even close, but something near it, you know, it really does wreck a team. And I feel like we've seen some teams where they just totally go down the tube and that, you know, they end the season on like an eight game losing streak or something. So, um, which, you know, the Raiders obviously seem a lot more shaky after their blowout loss. So, you know, they have some pieces in place, but I think it is a lot to overcome. It just, it's a shame because there's talent here. They were five and two. They're down to five and four now and they're trending in the wrong direction. I just don't know even how, Anybody, even a good, you know, good interim coach, cars played better. The run game had been giving them something. It's just, I don't know how you overcome this. But the the AFC play, I mean, that's what's beautiful about having a seven team, right? Like, we're going to have to get seven teams in the playoffs. So the Chargers are trending down, the Raiders, the Bengals, you know, the Colts even at five and five. Somebody in that mix is probably going to have to claim that playoff spot. And, you know, we're going to have to get a couple wildcard teams. And some teams are going to have to figure it out. Maybe even eight, nine gets you in. Yeah, and it does seem like any of those teams that are kind of at the bottom or right on the bubble, I mean, they do have potential. It doesn't necessarily, to me, feel like it's just, oh, you know, this team's going to back in. I mean, obviously that could be the case, but, you know, Joe Burrow and Cincinnati and, you know, with the Raiders already, you know, they're a nine seed now. You know, obviously the Colts have been very hit or miss, and I think Carson Wentz is an, definitely an interesting free agent story there. But it, it does seem like at least it will make – viewing it interesting um you know teams can go on runs obviously it doesn't happen all the time but we've definitely seen the wild card teams win on the road but you know teams will definitely i think start to as the season progresses continually start to uh you know show who they really are as well adam musto here on the money mitch effect looking at the nfc after uh week 10 of the uh regular season campaign uh some bad news to share with you uh i think the green bay packers might be the best team in the nfc yes um, I, uh, you know, I definitely was not as much as I would have loved to, you know, after their week one loss, I, I knew that that was just kind of going to be a blimp on the radar. And yeah, I, I think it's just kind of bizarre what we've seen with the Cardinals and the Rams the last couple of weeks, you know, maybe not 
too shocking. Well, I would say pretty shocking, I guess. So um, it, it does seem like now, after kind of what we've seen, the Packers are just going to kind of keep on their hot run. And then, you know, everything that will fall in place below them will kind of work its way out. But I think especially just being home at Lambeau, um, you know, when you have other warmer weather teams, it, you know, Arizona, Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. uh, Los Angeles, and, and dome teams and stuff like that, it, it does make it seem like it'd be easier uh, for Green Bay to just stay hot as they always do. I mean, it, it just it feels like they just never lose at home when it's cold, you know, late in the season. I know there's been a handful of games where that's not the case. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's just, you know, to beat Aaron Rodgers, you, you need to have one of his off days, which is rare. And then even if that happens, I feel like you have to play perfectly. Yeah. Well, I, I also think, I mean, they're, they're 4-0 at home this year, so they're beating everybody regardless of what time it is. It's going to only get colder. Uh, the defense, I know Seattle had Russell Wilson uh, with the injuries, but he shut out for the first time in his career. Uh, the defense actually, not just this game, but going, you know, even back to Arizona, doing a good job against Kyler. This is one of the better defenses in the Rodgers era. I think, uh, I, I just think looking at the landscape too, especially, was doing that this weekend. Tampa Bay looks like, I mean, they lose to Washington. They Brady didn't look great. The offense didn't look great. But but they they look like, Adam, that they have the, the Super Bowl hangover. I mean, it's, it's a natural human reaction. You combine it with the Rams, which we'll get to in a second, getting pushed around on Monday Night Football. The Cardinals, Kyler's injury, mixed with me just not really trusting Cliff Kingsbury in big games just yet. Yeah. I think Green uh-huh. Bay and Dallas look like the teams right now that I would put the most stock in. And it's more so just surveying the land and some of these other teams. Yeah, because, you know, I think also from the bottom up, I guess I kept kind of waiting for maybe the um, Seahawks to make a run. I, I kind of thought maybe that they would be like the Chiefs, just from obviously what we've seen with Russell Wilson. Um, obviously, it, it'll be tough for them, even though I could still see them maybe finishing around 500. But, you know, it doesn't really seem like uh, they're trending in, in the right direction. So, yeah, it's. You know, sometimes it's just those seasons where, you know, you have a great season, but there's another great team in your division. Um, but it, it seems like everyone kind of has a chance if they just kind of keep winning that um, they can kind of control what, what ends up happening to them. The uh, L.A. Rams, San Francisco 49ers Monday night football game uh, was actually the fifth straight time that Kyle Shanahan's Niners have beaten the Rams. That's, that's a pretty jarring stack considering that, you know, last year the Rams went to the second round of the playoffs and the Niners didn't, yet they still swept the series. But yet, as great as I think Shanahan is as a play caller and, you know, what he can do, they don't. They, it wasn't very complicated. They just pushed him around last night. And, and I think they, they do some things that, you know, they've done. Lining up a receiver in the backfield, getting Samuel the ball in, in different scenarios, targeting Kittle. They're just a more physical team. And for the Rams, Adam, I mean, this is multiple games in a row, probably three, even going back to that Lions game, where they're just a finesse team that's not showing a lot of physicality and, they're going to have to toughen up to make a run because they can't be getting pushed around like this. Yeah, I mean, you know, the NFL has obviously changed. We're such a passing league, but I feel like historically, if you go back to like the run and shoot offense in the late 80s and 90s, it's kind of like that. I mean, even, you know, yeah, exactly like you said, looking at the stat sheet, Garoppolo didn't even throw 20 passes. Stafford threw over 40. Rams only ran the ball 10 times. The 49ers ran it over 40 times. So um, that seems to generally be a formula that works for, you know, San Francisco's favors when those are your numbers. But yeah, and Honestly, that's kind of what I feel like I've seen at least seeing Stafford play so much when he was in the NFC North where, you know, he always put up the big numbers. And I know obviously everyone knows his stats against winning teams and in the playoffs and big games like that. But I think there does seem to be a reality now where you can put up great numbers or at least a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns, but it doesn't always transfer to points and wins. So, you know, something's a little off there. 
Yeah, and, uh, and Odell Beckham, I mean, uh, I'm just so heartbroken. <laughs> I'm just so heartbroken <laughs> that it just, you know, our first game didn't work out. Um, you know, yeah. that, that said, I mean, this division race, it's going to stay open because I don't know if Kyler plays this week. There's the bye coming up. The Cardinals losing to the Panthers. Uh, Cam Newton getting a couple touches, getting a couple packages down at the goal line, which is great. I still don't believe he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Time remains to be seen there, but... For the Cardinals, defensively, it was a, a letdown. Like, I, I can understand not expecting Colt McCoy to have two good games in a row and not having Kyler change the offense, but you got to get it better. If, if you're an elite team, you've got to rely on your defense a little more than what they showed. Yeah, because, you know, when you go into a game and you know you're going to have a backup quarterback, you know, the Panthers are one of those teams, I think, at this point where they're not – that's sometimes kind of a matchup where you're like, ah, that's not bad. Or, you know, there's certain times where maybe if a quarterback is like one to two weeks out, with an injury, you could be like, well, we can rest him this week against the kind of inferior team. And yeah, I think when you give up 34 points to, uh, you know, a Panthers team that has been pretty inconsistent, uh, that has to be really disappointing, especially when, you know, it was it a couple of weeks ago, they were obviously the last undefeated team in, in the NFL and, and obviously, you know, crazy loss to Green Bay. But yeah, that's a game, even if you don't have your starter, you know, you could still potentially win. I mean, they only scored 10 points, obviously, but if they could have gotten maybe 17, that's a game that maybe you could win 17-13 if you have the defense to, to match it as well. When when it needs to pick up, you kind of you know help each other out when one's struggling. And I know I touched on it, Adam, but that Tampa Bay-Washington game, there's just this has happened a couple of times on this year where Tampa Bay just doesn't look like they're locked in. And I know there was a story in the offseason. Everybody's coming back. We're going to run it back. We're going to run it back. Well, you know, the Gronk injury is huge. Antonio Brown obviously looks like he's an important piece of this offense. But I just, I'm worried because I'm not seeing the same hunger. Now, they were bad at the midway point or average at the midway point, and they turned it around. But it's hard to repeat in any league, let alone the NFL. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, obviously, for them is just, you know, I think Tom Brady's sheer confidence slash just that fieriness that he's obviously proven. I think it totally changed their team dynamic in their locker room, um, you know, where when you're a team, especially the Buccaneers, where, you know, how many years did they not even go to the playoffs the year before? You know, locker rooms definitely, I think sometimes they, they can kind of creep to players being satisfied or just kind of going through the motions. Um, so I think he's always going to write the ship. Yeah, obviously, that's what we've seen with some of the greatest athletes of all time, where there isn't going to be a letdown. But yeah, it is, it's, it's very tough. You know, they, they've gone from being almost one of the most under the radar teams of the NFL over the last 20 years, obviously now having the target on their back um, almost overnight. And, you know, they do have obviously some veterans on their defense, but that sometimes doesn't always translate consistently. Last thing on uh, this past week, looking at the uh, NFL, where are you at now with the Cowboys? I know they had that bad loss to the Broncos, but they bounced back, beat the Falcons. I, I just think this is a complete football team. Well, we'll see if McCarthy and this team can, can show up when it matters. The track record isn't there. But I think from a all three facets of the game, even special teams getting into it, this is a pretty well-rounded football team and the best the Dallas uh, area has had in a long time. Yeah, you know, as much as I don't like to admit it, because generally um, I'm one of the factions of football fans who, you know, see the Cowboys kind of like the Yankees as just the team you, you root against. So there's times, obviously, in close games where I'll be rooting for them to lose. But, yeah, I think I, I don't know if necessarily if Dak is in the MVP ca category. But, you know, obviously coming back from the injury he had last year, which was totally brutal. So, yeah, they've, they've just been so kind of hit or miss the last 
handful of years last decade where they've had some great wins and great losses late in the season. So it'll be tough, but I, I think, like you said, yeah, they just it just feels a little different. It feels a little more real maybe than yeah. Adam Musto on the Money Mitch effect. Let's look at Week 11's NFL action. Uh, some interesting games that I wanted to just bring up. Buffalo hosting the Colts. Didn't really talk about the Colts too much, but they're back to 5-5. Five and five. I know they lost twice to the Titans in the division. We'll see if Buffalo is really back, if they can put it on the Colts. It's a rematch of uh, a playoff game from a year ago, but uh, Philip Rivers' final game, I believe. But, look, this is uh, a chance for the Colts to get above 500 after just an atrocious start. So that's one to look at, as well as your Bears coming off their bye uh, at home against the Ravens, not uh, an easy return to the field. Yeah, I think especially with the Ravens' kind of shocking loss on Thursday, I always dislike that matchup when you know, you're playing a good team, especially when they're coming off a, lo- a loss especially a crazy loss. I feel like they're going to be extra hungry. So that really doesn't go to go to all for Chicago. No, it doesn't. Uh, the uh, marquee game, obviously Dallas and Kansas city. This, this has a lot of implications. And, and I think we're going to come out of this game looking at one team as either in the chief's case, Adam being fully back or the Cowboys being that legit real contender. I know Kansas city hasn't been what they had been in the past couple of years, but if Dallas goes into Arrowhead and wins that game, wins it convincingly, we might have to start just adjusting our projections for the Cowboys. Yeah, because, you know, exactly what you were saying. It, it seems like they're, you know, a legit team, but they, they've had, obviously, you don't want to take necessarily anything away from them, but, you know, looking at their schedule, well, obviously losing to the Broncos, and, and, and which has been another kind of inconsistent team. But, yeah, definitely one where they can put a stamp and, you know, if they can get to 8-2. and two. And also just kind of stay, you know, I don't know if they can pass Green Bay, but they at least stay in that conversation as well. Yeah, and also don't want to forget uh, a game that I think could be a tricky one for the Packers. They play the Vikings. The Vikings are a weird 4-5 and five team. Like, some of their wins should have been losses. Some of their losses should have been wins. Kirk Cousins, I saw a stat at him, is like 18 touchdowns, two interceptions. He's playing the best football of his life. They're, a, they're an odd team for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, I haven't checked recently, but I know earlier in the year he was definitely near the top of the NFL in quarterback rating, and that's kind of been his MO, I feel like, with, with the Vikings, similar maybe to what we were talking about earlier about Matthew Stafford, uh, where he puts up the numbers. But, yeah, just some, you know, I had kind of written them off uh, really up until last week, and then, you know, they go and, you know, beat, I guess, possibly. Uh, the Chargers obviously have been in- inconsistent, but a team that it also felt a couple weeks ago in the Chargers that were among the AFC elite, even though, it, you know, it, it kind of flip-flops, even though it seems like Justin Herbert, even though he's another one where, you know, he, he puts up good numbers and seems to play well, but then they, they lose some bizarre games as well. So, yeah, I think I totally wrote off the Vikings, but they're kind of right. You know, they're not too far removed from it. I think they're actually right on the bubble on the eight, as the eighth seed in the NFC. See what happens in the NFL. Uh, Adam Musto, before I let you go, I just wanted some quick college thoughts, uh, if, you, if you have any, because the playoffs are the exact same rankings. They just came out as last week with uh, two SEC teams at the top, Alabama and Georgia, followed by Oregon, Ohio State, and Cincinnati, trying to crash the Power Five party at number five. Those are the rankings, some big games this week as we move towards the finale of the regular season. What's your thoughts on how the season's shaping up and uh, the playoff push? Yeah, it seems like there's just kind of consistent, you know, upsets and, and stuff. And, uh, you know, I haven't been able to watch a ton of it. I've seen a handful of Notre Dame games. I, I'm an Illinois fan um, and an alum. And you know, we had a big win against Penn State. And, you know, the, the big yeah, Penn State. Nine overtimes, by the way. The two-point conversion yeah. contest. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. It was almost like watching like a, a shootout in, in soccer. Um, so, you know, I guess I'm always a little partial to, to the Big Ten. And, you know, they had some 
teams that have had some bizarre losses. I am going actually this weekend to the Nebraska Wisconsin game uh, just over the nice. border in Wisconsin. So um, I'll be in Big Ten land, I guess, for that. You'll be jumping around, huh? We'll have to see a video of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll. Uh, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, I'm not really a huge fan of either, but we have some family friends who are Nebraska fans, and my cousin lives in Madison, so. I'm a little conflicted, I guess, but I think I'm going to wear my Mike Brown Chicago Bears jersey because that was the one Nebraska alum that I was looking at that I kind of rep. That's great. That's great. Uh, Ohio State plays Michigan State. They're actually like 19-point favorites in that one. That's a huge line. But, you know, I, I bring that up because the Big Ten East, that, that push is going to be huge. The winner of that game in the driver's seat. If it's Ohio State, then it's Ohio State-Michigan for a lot on the line as well. So that's going to be huge. Oregon has Utah, and they make their – you know, the number three team in the playoff ranking, they're trying to make their move. Uh, Alabama-Georgia looks like it's, I mean, it basically is a, a showdown in the SEC title game. And, you know, there's a lot still to shake out this week going into the playoff and, and uh, conference championship stuff. Cincinnati getting there would be cool for college football. I still think they need some help. Um, that said, that said, Adam, nobody's in a worse shape right now than uh, the Texas Longhorns losing at home to Kansas in the sport of football, not basketball. <laughs> Yeah, definitely a tough one. Um, just a, a crazy, shocking game. So I guess at least, you know, we have, I guess that's at least maybe what the playoff is for, even though there's still going to be, I think, some solid teams out. Um, it's never going to be a perfect system unless, you know, maybe there's more teams. But but it would be definitely tough to have to pick the top two at this moment if, if at least it didn't somewhat play itself out in the playoffs. And the last thing I wanted to bring up, uh, Virginia Tech fired their coach today. There's now 12 open jobs at, at the Division One level. I, I can't remember it being that high recently. Is that surprising to you? Do you think it's going to be a lot of musical chairs going forward? I mean, 12 seems like a high number to me. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I don't know if it's just because it, it does seem to me like there's just been a trend, at least in the NFL, too, where it seems like coaches have a, a shorter leash where, you know, it used to be a five-year plan now, then it was like a three-year plan now. You see it's more often even that, you know, sometimes a coach only lasts one or two seasons. So, um, you know, I guess expectations are just higher for different teams. And and you would think that it used to be nice to think, you know, college felt a little more wholesome and, and you know, but, but there's games to win, there's money to be made. So, and, you know, fans, I think, have a shorter memory and, you know, want results right away, unfortunately, for some coaches. Unfortunately, that's the case, but a lot of them have buyouts and get a lot of money, so I can't feel too sorry for them there. Uh, but we'll that's see. True, that's we'll yeah. see when the uh, when the chairs get shuffled here and, and who ends up coaching which program. A lot of big jobs out there. LSU and USC to, to name a few. Adam Musto, appreciate you coming on, talking some pro football, some college as well. Uh, good luck to your Bears going forward against the Ravens. Really need you guys to win that game. Uh, and uh, thanks again for talking football here on the Money Mitch Effect. Awesome. Happy to be on. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, looking forward to this week of action. I'll I'll be rooting for the Bears, giving them the best shot. Hopefully it works out, you know, for your Browns as well, but it'll be a big uphill climb. Justin Fields won't let me down, uh, <laughs> I hope. But thanks That's again, true. Adam, for, uh, for coming yes. on the show. Of course. Anytime. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you again to Jose Youngs and Adam Musto. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And once again, a reminder, you can catch every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. That's where we are, as well as all your podcast platforms. Leave a rating, review, subscribe there. Check out The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for some exclusive content. And follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. 
We'll be back next week for college football rivalry weekend. A lot of talk there. More NFL. The hockey and basketball season's ramping up as the tennis season winds down and some off-season notes in all your other favorite sports. I'm Mitch Michaels, and this was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening. Keep enjoying sports.